Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in six different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church or how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you, Broussard Campus? I know that, uh, first let me introduce myself. My name is Pastor Gabe, and alongside my lovely bride, Lauren, who's somewhere around here talking to people, um, is the, we're the lead pastors of the Broussard campus here. And can I just say this? Isn't the worship of Jesus so sweet? So sweet. And I know for some of you, in moments like that, you, you know what to do and your hearts are open and you're going after, you know, you're making your requests known to God. Others are just sitting in his presence. And for others, you may be wondering, what's, what's going on? What should I be doing? Just telling him how much you love him. Just showing him your absolute gratitude for all that he's done for you. And it's in those moments that Jesus is touching our hearts, healing our hearts, restoring us. And so I believe he was doing that in this room even this morning, some of you, God was touching your heart. Maybe even emotionally healing things in your soul. Maybe even physically healing things in your soul and in your, your body. So I'm just so grateful for that. I'm going to pray and we're going to dive into God's word. Before we do, let me give you a couple quick announcements. The first one is the reason I'm wearing this pin. We're in this series called Who is Jesus? And we're unpacking who answering the greatest question known to man. Who is Jesus? And so we have some t-shirts, you see some people in tie-dye shirts and these buttons and these stickers all over the place. And so this is our promotion, if you will, of the series, but really it's promotion of that question. It's an evangelistic tool to share the gospel with people. And so I encourage you, if you're interested in that, there, we have a table set up right in the back of the sanctuary to the left if you're interested in getting some of those materials. But then also we are going to pray as a spiritual family for we have a team of people from our church going to Israel and they are leaving on Monday and their trip's being led by uh, Pastor Eugene Reisner, our lead pastor at our Opelousas campus. So can we as a spiritual family pray for them and their protection as they go on that trip? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful for you, God. We're grateful for all that you've done for us. And I pray, Lord, for this team of people that, God, it's, many of them have dreamed of seeing the places where Jesus walked and the water Jesus walked on. Lord, I just pray that you would protect them. That I, I just agree with your word that says the angel of the Lord is encamped around those who fear you. And these are your children. I pray, God, that you would protect them that you would keep a hedge of protection around them, God, as they go on this trip. But also, I ask, Lord, that just the joy and elation of being there and seeing it, God, they would soak it all in and they would love and enjoy this moment. Bless them today. And now I ask for, God, just your grace on me as I speak your word. Holy Spirit, it's my desire in these moments that you glorify Jesus through me. And as we explain it, I give it our best attempt to just give the tip of the iceberg of who Jesus is. Lord, empower me to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Congratulations to every one of y'all who were baptized. Come on, let's celebrate with them. So exciting. So exciting for you. You went public with your faith. You literally, and I was standing in the back and I got to pray with the, the, those who were being baptized and just knowing so many of them and their stories and having met with them. And it's just amazing to see what God has done. I was tearing up up here. So if I'm a little emotional, just bear with me. We're in this series. We started it last week called Who is Jesus? And last week we talked about the, the gravity of this question. This is the most important question. And I wrestled with that going, is there an, another more important question? Well, any gravity that you would give to another question would have to be based on that question. So um, let me put it like this. 
The, only, the way that you can make that question a deeper or more important question is if you make it personal. So not just who is Jesus, but who is Jesus to you? Because he is who he is, but if he is not that to you, then that affects your eternity. That affects your life. And so this is the most important question in the world. Who is Jesus? This question has divided nations, families. It has healed the sick. This question has, has healed men and mended many relationships, broken people who are hopeless. This question is the most important question in all of human history. So who is he? Last week we said he is God. He is God. He was not just a good person. He was not just a good speaker. He was not just a prophet. According to the scriptures, according to the Bible, Jesus is God. And we're going to go back to that in a moment. But I want to take a, a slightly different approach this morning. Last week, we, we talked about him being God. Jesus is God. He claimed to be God. Now, there's a, a theological word that I want to share with you to help, to help describe Jesus, because if he was God, then how did he have feet? How did he walk on the earth? If he was God, how was he born of a woman? If he is God, how did he die? So in theology, which simply means theo-godology, the study of, the study of God, is there's a theological term that we use to describe Jesus, and is this, the hypostatic union. I'm not going to ask you to repeat after me, but the hypostatic union. Now, be honest. When I say the term hypostatic, how many of you immediately thought about your socks connected to your shirts when they come out of the dryer? Like, Pastor, I got some, I got some sheets that you can put in there to take care of that. But the hypostatic union, and, and it's, this is what that word hypostatic means. It comes from the Greek word hypostasis, which means the person, personal, substance, or nature. That's what hypostatic means. Person, substance, nature. So when you say the hypostatic union, what you're talking about is the union of natures. The union of persons. The union of substance. Pastor, what does that mean? It means that God, Jesus, when he came, was Man and God. Now, what's important for you to know is Jesus was not half God, half man. He wasn't a mutant. He wasn't an alien. This was not X-Men. He was a 100% God and a 100% man all at the same time. That's what that means, the hypostatic union, the union, the divine union of God and man in one person that's what Jesus was. Let me, let me go even further in my explanation of it. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this. He, talking about Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Everybody say his nature. He's the exact imprint of his nature. Whose nature? God's nature. And when the Bible says his nature, it actually is that Greek word hypostasis, which means hypostatic in our language. So his nature, he was in the same nature as God the Father, yet he was a man. And the Bible says, and he upholds the universe by the power of his word. Whose word? Jesus's. So he is God. He literally holds the universe with the power of his words. He is God. He had the exact same nature as God. Same word there. But at the same time, he was fully man. See, let me explain something about being a Christian and our beliefs, Christianity. Your belief separates you from many other religions of the world. Duh. But let me explain why. Let me explain why. Because there are, some, there are religions who would tell you, I believe the same thing as you, but it's not true. Did you know that Muslims believe in Jesus? Many of you didn't know that. Muslims believe in Jesus. They even believe Jesus was the Messiah or the Christ. And some of you go, they believe Jesus was God? I didn't say that. They believe Jesus was the Christ, Messiah, same word. And they believe he was the person promised in the Old Testament. 
That means he's the anointed one. That's what all that word means, Messiah Christ, anointed one. They believe he was God's anointed one. But what they don't believe is that he's God. They do not believe that he's God. And they may tell you, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but they do not believe Jesus is God. Now, another belief system that varies from ours is the Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witness. How many of y'all know you've had Jehovah's Witness come to your door? How many of you act like you're not home? How many of you even lie and say, nobody's home? Some of you. Okay. So when it comes to Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that Jesus is a God. They do. They believe he is a God, but notice a God. They don't believe he is almighty God. They believe he, when he came on earth, he was not God at the time he was on earth. He was just a man because they also believe he's a created being, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. We're going to read that in just a moment, meaning Jesus is the word. He was there in the very beginning. He's not a created being. He is the eternal God, the eternal almighty God. And there's another belief system that you may have actually heard about and not known what it was or heard of a variation of it. In the Bible, literally in the New Testament time, there was a heresy called Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism comes from that word gnosko, knowledge, and it was the people who basically, we were enlightened, we know, we have the knowledge. A similarity to that nowadays would be the people who read that book, The Secret. If you've read it, don't raise your hand, I don't want to know. But those are people who believe, I know the secret. I've got the inference, I'm on the inside scoop, Pastor. Let me just tell you, if the secret is not in the Bible, the secret is a lie. Just putting that out there for you. Okay, so Gnosticism, they believe that the world was so absolutely corrupt that everything in the world was absolutely corrupt, yet they believe Jesus came. They believe Jesus came to the earth, but they don't believe Jesus came as a man. They believe Jesus came as God and he only appeared to be like a man. And some of you may go, oh, well, that kind of makes sense. Except that's not at all what the Bible says. Because they believe he, came, he could not have been flesh because flesh was so corrupt that how could God come and be so corrupt? Here's the thing. I don't know if you know this or not, but the, John the Apostle who wrote the Gospel of John wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Much of what he wrote was against this belief system. It was against Gnosticism. He was proving to the people, I walked with him. I slept next to him. I watched him on the cross. He was a man and he was God. So it's so important that we believe what the Bible says about Jesus, not just what society or culture or some wise person or some professor or some philosopher says, because if they are not agreeing with what he said about himself, how I many you know it's not true? It's not true. Now let me get to the point, because some of you are thinking, so pastor, how does that, how does that impact my life? Like, how does that help me? Thank you for the hypostatic and all of that stuff. That's all cute. But I came to church because I need some help. I came to church because I have real problems. I have real needs. And I need a real God who can relate to me and help me. Can I just tell you that's the whole point? Everything I'm talking about, everything I just brought to you is only building the foundation to show you that exact same point. That is the point. He, God, became flesh and can relate to you and can relate to your struggles. You know, if you don't believe me, let's keep going. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. See, we have a father, if you will, named Adam, who was the first living man. And so God, we, the Bible calls him your father, Adam. Right? But then the Bible calls Jesus the last Adam or the second man, second Adam. 
meaning there was a race of people from Adam to Jesus. But in Jesus, something changes. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body. Then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. See, if Adam is still your father, this is what Adam taught us how to do, how to sin, how to compromise, how to give up, how to disobey God. That's what your father Adam taught you. But when Jesus came, he gave new life. Spiritual men, spiritual sons and daughters came from him. And we, if you are in him, you are a new creation. If you are in him, you are different. You are, the Bible calls you a peculiar people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's who we are in Christ. This Christianity is so much more than come to church, become a better person. That's what we reduce it down to. You are not here to become a better person. You are here because Jesus is making you into his image and you are a new creation. So... Last week, we started talking about Jesus being God. Now, let's focus on Jesus being man, because Jesus was the man. God became man. First John, excuse me, the the gospel of John, John chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. If you notice, we talked about this last week. John makes the jump from talking seemingly about a thing, the word, the word, and it. And then all of a sudden, he makes the shift from verse 1 to verse 2. It, the word, the word, the word, he, meaning he and the word are the exact same thing. An exact same thing, the same person is Jesus. Jesus is the word and Jesus is God. Now, keep going, keep tracking with me. Jesus, who is God, was with God the Father in the very beginning and there was nothing created that, was, that he wasn't a part of. Why? Because he is God. That's what we talked about last week. And this explains the who, but let's go further. Yes, who who is he? He is God. But Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 says this. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made. And when I say that word made, not created, made into, almost changed into. It was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tempted. There's so much there that I want you to catch. But let me start by saying this. Jesus is our high priest He's our high priest. And you don't necessarily get that unless you understand what a high priest did. So in the, in the Bible, okay, in, in the scriptures, when the Bible talks about the high priest, the high priest was someone who would go into the temple. If you remember, the temple is the place where God met man, man met God. That was, that was the, the place. All of Israel, that was their centerpiece of the world because they believed the presence of God was there even though it had left there. But the high priest would go in ever so often. And he would bring a sacrifice. And because he was the highest religious leader of the land, his sacrifice was for all of the people. But it was also for himself. So the high priest would come in and he would make the sacrifice for all of the people. Right? And so Jesus, when the Bible calls him the high priest, is saying he came and he made a sacrifice for all of the people. For all of those who are in him. Now, the role of a priest, not a priest like maybe you grew up going to church seeing here in Acadiana. 
But in this regard, the role of a priest was to stand between God and to stand between man and to be an intercessor in between the two. Meaning you spoke on man's behalf to God, you brought your sacrifice, and you spoke, on, you spoke on God's behalf to man. This is what God is saying. This is what his word says. That was what a priest did. It was an intercessor. Y'all, y'all getting this? Y'all tracking with me? Three of you. Are the rest of y'all tracking with me? Okay. So you, that's the role of a priest. Stand bef- between God and stand between God and man. And you're there to speak on behalf. You're, you're in a sense almost like a lawyer but holy. If there's any lawyers in here, no. There are holy lawyers. I'm just joking. But that was your role. You're, you're mediating. You're mitigating. You're between the two. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is not only the priest. Jesus is the high priest. And he came. God in the flesh became man And not only was he the priest, he was also the sacrifice. And he said, I'm going to sacrifice myself for you. God is the person you're supposed to come to is going to come to you. And he's not only going to be the intercessor, he's going to be the sacrifice. And he's going to lay his life down. I'm going somewhere with this. Just bear with me. Just track with me. This is important for you to get. As a man, Jesus knows what you are going through, and he can help you because he went through it himself. And a lot of times we think God is so far off, and God's so far, and God's just doing this to me, and I don't understand, and we fail to understand that Jesus went through the exact same thing that you're going through right now. The pain you feel, he's felt. That's what qualifies him to be the high priest. That's what qualifies him to stand. The Bible says he is always at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for you. Interceding, speaking on your behalf to God the Father. Even right now, that's what he's doing. And what qualifies him to do that is that he came as a man and can speak on your behalf. For those of you who've been through moments, and I have, where you're hurting and you're grieving, you don't know what's going on, you just think, God, this is tough, this is hard. Guess what? I got news for you. Jesus understands that. He's been there. As a matter of fact, the shortest verse in the Bible, which by the way, if you're, if you're a single guy in here trying to impress church girls, just quote scripture. And if you don't know any, just quote this one. It's very short. Two words, Jesus wept. And if they ask you where that's at, you're in trouble. But the book of Moses, chapter 3. There is no book of Moses. Okay. So Jesus, the moment he even said that, I want you to understand that that shortest verse is very impactful and very relating for us. Because that was the moment when Jesus' friend, not just, not one of the 12, his friend, Lazarus, died. And Lazarus' sisters, who Jesus also loved, Jesus shows up and Lazarus is dead. And they're telling Jesus, they're blaming him essentially. If you would have been here, our brother would not have died. Blaming Jesus to his face. And the Bible says his reaction to that was Jesus wept. He felt the grief of losing his friend, even though he knew he was getting ready to raise him from the dead, which he did. But I believe in that moment what Jesus was feeling, which was much more than his loss, the loss of his friend, because he was getting ready to raise him from the dead. He was feeling the grief and the pain of all of the world. He was feeling the pain of that grief, that sin bringing death into the world has caused all of us. He can relate. He can relate. The Bible tells us of the moment when John the Baptist, his cousin, the forerunner of his ministry, who was in prison and suffering, and Jesus knew that, was ultimately beheaded. And when the news came to Jesus, The Bible says Jesus took his disciples and they went away to a remote place. 
And I believe that the reason it happened is because Jesus was processing through the loss of his friend, the loss of John the Baptist. Why? Because he had feelings. And I'll just say this. I believe, I, I believe we should either, if we're down, we should be getting up. I don't believe in staying down. I don't believe in staying in our funk and staying in our attitudes and our mess. You are not a victim. You are not a victim. I believe as followers of Christ, we should be getting up and moving forward. But I also equally, hear me, believe that we should grieve that we should feel. And sometimes we are a little too quick to tell people, come on, get up and move on with it. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I'm grieving, let me grieve. Let me go through what I'm going through. If I'm still here a long time from now, then pull me out of the mud. But right now, I'm in it. And I need to be in it for right now. And I believe Jesus got that. He understood that. Why? Because he went through it. He faced it. I don't think anybody went up to Jesus and said, Jesus, come on, man, get over it. (laughs) No. He felt what we feel, and he wanted to feel what we feel so he can relate to us, which is why he can sit at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. Let me keep going because some of y'all aren't convinced. Hebrew chapter 4, verse 14 says this, So then, since we have a great high priest... Who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Let me pause there for a moment. Why would the Bible encourage you to hold firmly to what you believe if you were never going to have situations in life that tempt you to let go of it? The Bible encourages you to hold firmly to what you believe because the author knows, the Bible knows that there will be moments that you are tempted to go, this is too much. I don't know if I can handle this. God, I don't know, where are you? That's why the Bible encourages us, hold firmly to what you believe. Fight for what you believe in. Then it says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So important, I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So, Pastor, what does this mean? It means God became a man and knows your weaknesses, knows your struggles, because he had them himself. Jesus fought temptations. I don't know if you know that. And I told our first service this. When are you tempted? What are you tempted by? You're tempted by things that you want. I've sat with men who, in counseling in our church, and they've come to me and, Pastor, I don't know why I did this. I don't know. I think it's a generational curse. I think I'm not sure why I did this. And I've told them, I know why you did it. Why? Because you wanted to. Let's not cloud the judgment. Is a generational curse and all this stuff, could that play a part into it? Is the sin and iniquity in your family, could that play? Absolutely it does. But the real reason why you did what you did is because you wanted to. Real quiet up in this church, but that's okay. <laughs> we did it because we wanted to do it. Why? Because we were tempted to do it. I have never in all of my life been tempted by green beans. (laughs) Never. And I've had the most precious, sweet Cajun lady say, baby, you just haven't had mine. I don't want yours. Yours are going to be equally as nasty to me. Even after the first service, a lady came and said, Pastor Gabe, I wrap mine in bacon. Keep it. (laughs) Don't want it. That's disgusting to me. I'm not tempted by that. Now, you put bacon on cheesecake, a donut. Okay, then we got a whole different conversation going. Why? Because I want that. I'm tempted to do that. What's the point I'm trying to make? You are tempted by things you want. 
So when the Bible tells us Jesus was tempted, it tells us that in Jesus' flesh, his human nature, he wanted those things. Yet he was without sin. How does that work? Very simply, let me tell you, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to give in to the temptation. Some of you condemn yourself because you're tempted by things. There's no condemnation in Christ. Temptation will be with you till the day you die. But you don't have to live in that sin. You have not sinned until you have sinned. John Wesley put it like this. He said, it's not the birds that fly over the tree that get you in trouble. It's the ones you let nest there. It's the ones you let stay in your mind, the ones you focus on, the ones you act upon. So Jesus had temptation. Simply put, we see the people in Scripture dealing with Elijah the prophet, the great prophet. We saw him dealing with depression. So I'm fighting through that. So I think to some degree, to some degree, Jesus understands you're fighting your temptation with darkness. He understands when you're tempted daily by things. He understands. When you're tempted to let your emotions go and let that person have it because you've held on to it for far too long, I believe Jesus understands that. He knows. When you're tempted to focus on your pain and say, forget the world, I believe Jesus understands that. He knows that. He's qualified to stand in the gap because he knows your weakness. I'm trying to explain to you who your God is. The Bible tells us again, Jesus always makes intercession for us at the right hand of the Father. Here's the encouragement, though. Jesus faced it. Jesus was tempted by them. Yet Jesus overcame. And guess what that means? That if you are in him, so can you. So can you. Sometimes it just seems overwhelming when you're battling sin and you're battling temptation and you're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to make the right decision. You're trying to keep, keep it going. And, but can I just tell you a revelation that God gave me that changed my life? I don't have to do those things. When I got the revelation, this was such a mind-blowing moment for me, that the scriptures say, this is what the Bible says, that we are slaves to righteousness. We are no longer slaves to sin. And the, when you get that, it changes everything. Simply put, let me, let me explain it. When we were lost and we were in sin, when that urge came, you felt like you had no ability to stop it. When that temptation came, you felt like, I have to give in. When that emotion rose up, you felt like, I have to say this. I have to let them have it. It's just in me. And some of us like to blame our background. Like, I'm, I'm Irish. I'm Cajun. I'm Hispanic. I'm black. As if that is more than you being in Christ. We're first in Christ. And so with that said, listen, we felt like that, but the revelation of being in Christ says this, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Guess what that means? You don't have to. It may feel like you have to. The urge may be there, but you are now free in Christ. And I've, I've, I think I've said this analogy before. But there are moments, uh, little things, stories I've heard over the years that have painted this picture even clearer. Have you ever been to a circus and saw an elephant? You ever saw what they hold those elephants down with? They take a little wooden stake and a rope and they tie it to the foot of this ginormous animal that if it got upset could tear the whole tent down and wreck the whole place. Yet when they put that stake and that rope in the ground attached to that elephant's leg, it stays there. Have you ever wondered why? I'll tell you why. I'm so glad you asked. Because when that elephant was a baby, that wooden stake and that rope kept it in place. And it would try to move, but it wasn't strong enough. It wasn't big enough. It wasn't old enough yet to be able to pull that stake out of the ground. 
But as it gets older, its mind is so accustomed to whenever this goes in the ground, I'm stuck. So now that it is big enough to break out of that, it stays there because in its mind, it's still held captive. And that is what sin does to us. Before you were in Christ, you were held captive. That stake in the ground kept you where you were. But now that you are in Christ, you can pull that thing out like a toothpick because you are in Christ. You got to see this. The Bible says greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Jesus, the spirit of the living God, lives in you. No temptation known to man is greater than him or his blood. And the Bible makes that clear. He overcame, which means you can. Some of you are so stuck in your mentality. I'm stuck here. I have to. When I get that urge, I got to click on the website. When I get that urge, I got to say those words out of my mouth. When I get that feeling, I have to fight. I have to, I have to lie when I feel threatened. And we're so stuck in that being who we are that we miss who we really are. We are in Christ We are no longer slaves to sin. We are slaves to righteousness. Very simply put, you used to have to. You don't have to anymore. You don't have to. You can deal with the hard thing. You can confront the hard problem. You can say no to the temptation. Why? Your high priest has overcome the world, and you're his follower. Let's keep going. The Bible tells us this as well. He also offers us mercy when we fall. Verse 16, the Bible says, going back to that same verse in Hebrews, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. See, we often fall on one extreme or the other. And we fall sometimes on the extreme of, my my sin's not really that bad. I mean, that's not like them. Like, I know, I'll go to small group with that guy. He's got real issues. My stuff is not that bad. And we belittle our sin, forgetting the fact that it does not matter how big or how small, that sin is what caused our Savior to die on a cross. Adam and Eve ate a piece of fruit. They ate a piece of fruit. And that brought death, hell into all of humanity because what they did was not important as the disobedience to God that they showed. So our sin, no matter how big or how small, is important to God. And when we push it aside as if it's nothing, we're missing it. And we fall on that extreme and go, it's not that bad. As I can just stay in this place. I just, I like thinking like this. I like being like this. This is what I'm used to. And we fall in that extreme. But Jesus came to overcome it so that you can. Amen. But then there's the other extreme that we sometimes go to. And that's this. I'm horrible. I'm a worm. How could God even love me? I've messed up too bad. He's given me too many chances. I don't think he could ever forgive me for this. Some of you, even as you sit in this room, were hesitant about coming to church today because of some sin you committed. And you're trying to engage, but the truth is you feel like God is so far away because of your sin. Let me read again what the word says, what the Bible says to you. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. How can you come boldly to God's throne and ask for forgiveness and ask for mercy and ask for grace because Jesus, our high priest, is sitting on the right hand of God going to give him another chance. My blood paid for that. That thing they don't even see, they have no idea yet that they think that is bigger than what I did for them. 
Father, show them. We're running from the very God we should be running to. We do the same thing Adam and Eve did. When we sin, we cover it. I don't want anybody to know. I'm just gonna, and, we, and God comes calling for us, and we're hiding as if we can hide from him. And just the act of mercy of him coming, looking for us, we completely miss. For some of you, he's coming today looking for you. And Jesus' blood is there. It does not matter what you did. Look at me. There's not a single thing that a single person in all of this congregation has done that his blood is not bigger than. Not a thing. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. I don't have to know. I know what he did. Pastor, if anybody ever found out, he already knows. Do you think I could ever have a fresh start? I promise you can because he promised you could. Pastor, why, why are you telling us all of this? Because he's your high priest. He came as a man and he relates to you. So he's there to show you that you can overcome sin. But when you mess up, he's also there to intercede on your behalf to say, Father, give him another chance. He is not the God of a second chance. You need to know that. He's the God of another chance and another chance and another chance because of his great unfailing love for you. I also want to read this to you. And I'm closing. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says this. And this is an often misquoted scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Can I pause there for a moment? Some of us think I'm the only one. And I can promise you from pastoring most of y'all, you're not the only one. And that's what the enemy uses to cloud us in shame. You're the only one. And some of you, the greatest healing you'll ever find is when you are actually honest about where you're at. When you're willing to go, I'm going to shine the light on this dark place. What happens when lights come on? Roaches scatter. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. You know what? I told you that that's a misquoted scripture. I know I've said this before, but you need to hear it again. We quote that, we misquote the scripture by saying, God will never put more on me than I can bear. That's a lie. Yes, he will. God will allow things in your life that you go, I can't handle this. And he's up there going, I know. That's why you need me. There are times when the pressure and of life will force you down to your knees, which is the perfect place for you to be, because that's when his strength is in you. In your weakness, his strength is made perfect. So don't misquote that scripture. I don't care what gospel music has told you. That's not what it says. It says he will never allow you to be tempted more than you can stand. Meaning he's not going to allow a temptation to come into your life that you have to give in to. If there's a strong temptation in your life, the Bible says he will always make a way for you to escape it. Every opportunity, every temptation, every addiction, every lustful thought, every outburst of anger, every cheating, every, every lie, every... Whatever it is, he always makes a way out for you. Always. But you've got to want it. You've got to choose it. You've got to want. God, you, you've got to have the desire. I don't want to do that. I want you more than I want that. The words that Chelsea sang on this stage were beautiful. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. I was praying yesterday morning, and I just had a moment with God of gratitude. And I was thinking, God, 
everything I want is in you. My past is redeemed by you. The future that I want, you're in. The things I'm hoping for now, you're in the middle of it. The type of man that I want to be, I want to be like you. You are in it all. You're the foundation of my life. You're at the beginning of my life. And you are in heaven where I want to go eternally. It's all in you. So why would I ever want to elevate anything above you who are my, who, you are my everything. You are my everything. And my desire for you is that Jesus would be your everything. That you would want him more than the sin. That you would want him more than the addiction. That you would want him more than the problem. You want him more than the sin pattern and the addiction and the habitual thing. That you would want him more because when you do, the door opens up for you to escape the sin. And all of this comes back to this. Who is Jesus? He's a man who can relate to you. But he's also your high priest who stands before God going, give him another chance, give him another chance, give him another chance. So who is he? He's fully man. He's fully victorious. And he fully overcame sin so that you can as well. Let me pray for you. Lord, your word says that even when we are unfaithful, you remain faithful. Great is your faithfulness to your people. And Lord, I pray for those this morning who are hurting and feel like they're by themselves. I pray that you remind them they're not. I pray for those this morning, God, who feel bound by sin, bound in their struggle and their temptation. And I pray that you would reveal to them, Father, in a way that only you can, in a way that only you can. Let this be a revelatory moment for them that they see they are slaves to righteousness. They are no longer slaves to sin. That in you they are new creations in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Let them adopt that as their identity because that is who they are. Your word says, as such were some of you. You were those things, but you are washed you are justified, you are sanctified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Reveal that to them so they walk in victory. But thank you for being our high priest who allows us to get up and to keep going. If you're here this morning, and this isn't the prayer for salvation. This isn't the prayer to be saved, to be born again. If you're just here and you say, Pastor, I, I've been down. I don't just mean emotionally. I've been down in my sin. And I felt like I'm so far away from God. I am a Christian. I am all of those things. But my sin, I feel like it separated me from him. And I want to get that right with God because if Jesus is my high priest and he's offering me forgiveness this morning, I want it. If that's you, I don't want anybody to look around. I just want you to lift up your hand and say, that's me. Let's get it right with God. Let's get it right with him. Don't be ashamed and be embarrassed. Be humble. Walk in humility. Put them down. Let me pray with you. If you prayed that, pray this with me. Say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me for the sin in my life that has drilled, put a wedge between you and I. I receive what Jesus did on the cross for me. Your blood is enough. I don't have to walk in condemnation. I can be free because whom the Son has made free is free indeed. I receive your forgiveness and I receive your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, it's as simple as that. When you mess up, you bring it to him and he forgives you. If we confess our faults to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all sin and unrighteousness. That's what his word says.
Now, lastly, I want to pray for you one, one more time, really two more times. But I want you to close your eyes again. And if you're here and you say, Pastor Gabe, I've never been born again. I don't know what it means to follow him. I have good news for you. Everything we just talked about can be applied to your life right now. If you've never followed him, if you've never prayed to be a Christian, I'm not talking about being baptized when you were a kid or going to a church. I'm talking about the moment where you go from death to life, what the Bible calls born again. You can have that today. Your sins can be forgiven and you can be right with God. And it's a simple process, as simple as ABC. A, you admit. Admit that you're a sinner, that you're far away from him. B, you believe. Believe that God sent Jesus to die on that cross for your sin. And C, you confess. Confess what? That he rose again from the dead. That is true. And that he is now your Lord and you will follow him with your life. So if you're ready to give your life to him today and to follow him, salvation and eternal life can be yours today. That's you and no one looking around on the count of three, I want you to lift up your hand. I want to acknowledge who I'm praying with and then all of us are going to pray this prayer out loud together and then we're going to close. One, two, three. If that's you, lift it up. If you say, I want to be born again today, Pastor. Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you, young man. Thank you, young man. I see your hand. Anyone else? Lift it up high. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See your hands back there. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. See your hand. You can put them down. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud with everybody praying this prayer, the precious saints of God. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to go there. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with God the Father. I turn away from my sin. I repent of my sin. And I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you are my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. Heaven is now my home, and I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. The church, let's celebrate with every person that prayed that prayer.